Blog Talk Radio. to you live from the EAL radio show in St. Augustine, Ponte Vedra, Florida. Ponte Vedra being halfway between Jacksonville and St. Augustine. Thanks for listening to the Eastern Airlines radio show. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we'd like to also welcome our listeners around the world. We say welcome. Jim Hart? Yes, sir. Hello, Eastern family and friends around the world. It's great having you with us. My name is Jim Hart, coming to you live from the beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida area, where today's weather was 83 degrees. How about that? Welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we've become Eastern Airlines International Radio Show because I understand we're heard in over 40 countries right now. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk with us on the air live. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world. That's what we try to do every week on the EAL radio show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on their home page at www.ealradioshow.com. Perhaps by signing in at the site of our provided, provider, Blog Talk Radio, should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to save, to use our call-in number, 
1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Actually, I think we're Eastern Daylight Saving Time right now. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits. Uh, By the way, please tell your friends about us. The number now is 213-816-1611. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 406 Monday night broadcasts and the 75-plus Thursday broadcast by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie and scrolling down through the archive of broadcasts. Each episode is briefly described. We're getting close to 500 episodes. How about that? (laughs) That's wonderful. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with your host, we ask that you please mute your telephone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. Wow, I see we're number one for takeoff. So, Captain Neil, let's get to flight number 405 in the air. This is uh, Neil Holland and the producer of the show. We're going off our regular schedule show of Children of the Greatest Generation that uh, we had scheduled for tonight. And we're talking about the Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. And uh, we want uh, to take time to talk about that and our thoughts and our sympathy with those families, crew members, and passengers that uh, were aboard that flight. Uh, the 
What we do know about that flight is that the Ethiopian Airlines flight crashed shortly after takeoff from the capital of Ethiopia on Sunday, killing all 157 people on board and crew. Authorities said as uh, grieving families rushed to airports in Addis Ababa and the destination Nairobi, which uh, there were more than 30 nationalities on board the aircraft. The flight had uh, only departed and crashed six minutes after departure. It was a Boeing 737-8 MAX airplane. I guess I should say 737 MAX-8 aircraft, which was new to the company and had been delivered to the airline in November this uh, 2018. The pilot did send out a distress call and was given clearance to return to the airplane, the airport. And um, it uh, just uh, reminds us of uh, one that uh, happened with Lion Air uh, 737-8 MAX airplane also. Uh, it seemed like the same profile almost, although we're hearing uh, some different stories uh, almost by the hour now on the Internet. So lots have been... Lots of things have been uh, uh, on the Internet, and uh, folks on the TV and radio have been reporting that. Tonight we want to talk about uh, those folks that uh, have, we have a few pilots with us and controllers and people have had, uh, that have interest, and uh, we want to talk about um, what may have happened. And, of course, we won't know all that uh, we need to know about uh, the determination until the investigation is over. But I want to open it up into a roundtable discussion tonight, and and um, and then we'll go from there. Anyone like to start off our discussion? Yeah, tonight? Neil, this is Jim. Is there any possibility that the horizontal stabilizer has been a problem? Uh that may be that may be the uh, the same thing that happened uh, with the Lion Air aircraft, the horizontal stabilizer, the stabilizer trim runaway. We called it on the 727 days and the 757 days that I flew the those airplanes, and uh, we had procedures for that. And that's kind of what we wanted to talk about and uh, some other things. Uh, any comments from our host and or listeners? I've got all the microphones open now. We have a board full. Neil, I'd like to uh, comment on the cockpit voice recorder on Line Air. I believe it's been about six weeks since they found that cockpit voice recorder, and they have not, to my knowledge, released anything at all about what was on it. I assume they they up to like 100 Gs, uh, so they should have saved survive that impact into the water but they haven't released anything and I wonder why and if they had released something and knew something about what happened uh, and put the word out it's possible that I don't know I mean just, we're in the dark pretty much but that might have been something that they could have done, changed the procedure or something on this Ethiopian flight and the other what 354 I believe 737 Max 8s nation, uh, worldwide that are flying. And I think there, there ought to be a who and cry to find out what's on that cockpit voice report from Lion Air. Has anyone read anything about 
what Jim was talking about on that uh, CVR because I haven't heard anything about it either. I, I have not heard anything myself uh, on uh, any any news coming in that direction at all as, at this time. In the uh, Japan Times today, they were talking about the Lions Airplane's flight data recorder. And uh, they said that initially they had that problem and they thought it was fixed. And days after the October 29th accident, Boeing sent notice to airlines that faulty information from a sensor could cause the plane to automatically point the nose down. The notice reminded pilots of the procedure for handling such a situation, which is to disable the system causing the automatic nose-down movement, which is something that Jim has mentioned several times. The Boeing chairman also said that in December that the MAX is a safe plane and that Boeing did not withhold operating details from airlines and pilots. I think that may prove to be wrong. <laughs> I don't uh, think any of the operators in the United States said that they knew about that. that they certainly didn't tell their pilots about it, American and, uh, I guess, Southwest. Um, yeah, yeah. We well, have uh, Eric Coates. On TV tonight, they have coming out of Orlando, all the American planes and the Southwest planes are flying the MAX out. They have had no problem and that the continued airworthiness uh, safety. Um, so they are not stopping any planes. There was no incidents with passengers not wanting to get aboard. Now, mm, well, I, I heard seen, uh, a while ago that Southwest had some passengers that were refusing to get on the airplane. They didn't say where. They just said that they were having a deal with yeah, that. I've read that, too. The Orlando Airport. Yeah. Uh, we've got area code uh, 519. Is that out west somewhere? Area code 519. Area code 971. That's probably Jeff here in Oregon. That's Jeff. What are you guys out there hearing about this? Of course, I guess we're all hearing the same thing or reading yeah. the same thing yeah, on the Internet. Yeah, that's part of the problem. We can only get it from the Internet because the authorities are so cautious to say as little as possible to protect the economic interests involved. Um that's got to change, and I think in time that will change, and this might be the accident that really pushes it to change, given its timeliness and follow-up to what happened with Lion Air. There's clearly some kind of a problem here, and we've our industry has sold, has oversold uh, the economic benefits and the, the beauty of travel and the freedom of travel and stuff so much without looking at the reality that there are serious hazards involved, and we need to be honest about those hazards. The New York Times had a late bulletin uh, that said that aviation experts expressed surprise at the vast disparity in experience in the two-person cockpit crew. 
Ethiopian Airlines said the pilot of Flight 302 had 8,000 hours of flying time, but the co-pilot had just 200. Oh, my God. 100? Uh, We've got area code 519 back with us. Is that out in Seattle? Uh, No, it's uh, London, Ontario. Renee McKinnon. Okay, Ontario. You folks. uh, Yeah, sorry, I hit the wrong button and cut you off. Oh, that's okay. Glad you're with us. Very good. Uh, You know, it 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 seemed that it it should be, and I think Chuck, you were you were you and Mike were talking about the uh, the gyro or the gimbal in the back. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that? Either one of you, Mike or or Chuck. Well, the the stabilizer jack screw with the ball nut that, that runs up and down. It's uh, attached onto the uh, stabilizer. That's just a basically they call it a ball nut because it's <clears throat> it's a nut with uh, ball bearings in it that run up and down the races of the jack screw itself. It makes it a, it makes it run smoother. But this was the problem that they had uh, with these things wearing out sometimes. But this would not be the pro- the case in uh, with a brand new airplane. If anybody remembers the DC nine deal at the Air Alaska that went into. Uh, into the Pacific Ocean, where the ball nut was worn out, and basically the, uh, the the nut was running up and down with no threads on it, basically. So they had no control over the stabilizer trim at all, or setting at all. Or the stabilizer. If the public out there can understand, if you take a bolt that has threads on the end of it, and you take a nut, and you start to t- tighten the nut down on it, that's basically what he's talking about except the threads go all the way down the whole shank of the nut, which we call a, a jack screw. And, um, yeah, some of them uh, ripped themselves apart and just took all the threads with them. Some of them froze up. Uh, I personally replaced the whole gimbal system and um, because it got jammed up uh, on one airplane a couple of days to get it fixed. And I think... I personally, this is Chuck Albright, by the way. I personally think that we have um, a lot of people involved in this that we don't know about that are looking, I think, more at, um, in my opinion, and which is probably the only one, at a bottom line situation here. This is going to affect the airline industry as a whole for a brand new airplane that's. Uh, just recently come out, so to speak. Um, you know, we have planes flying that are over 20 years old and uh, perfectly good flying airplanes. So it, it'll be really great to see about Lion Air's um, boxes, and I guess we're going to have to see about um, Flight 302's boxes because they've got those boxes. I've got they actually showed pictures of them on TV. They've got the CVR also. Uh, yes, they got, got both of them. Yes. Okay, very good. So we should learn a lot more, quick. unfortunately, from this accident than we have previous accidents because we have a lot more um, physical evidence. 206, who might that be? Hi, this is Carlene. Carlene, so great to hear from you tonight. You? Thank you. Sorry, sorry, I'm late for the show. 
Oh, that's okay. We're kind of waiting for, to hear what you have to say about this. Well, I have to tell you, somebody uh, emailed me and said, is this airplane, should, should every passenger be scared to fly on it? And I said, no, because I would be willing to fly it as long as you know how to, um, if it fails, what to do. And then my girlfriend called me from California and she said, am I going to die? I'm heading to Hawaii in Southwest flight. And I said, well, when you get on the airplane, go up and ask captain if he's senior and does he know how to manually fly? And I said, if he's going to Hawaii, he probably has, is. And I said, and then ask him if he knows how to disengage a stabilizer. And if he says yes, go on the flight. If he says no, I said, get off and run. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Very simple. Yeah. Well, I hardly think the captains don't know how to disengage the, I mean, the stabilizer. My goodness. Uh, I would, I would like to point out. Way back when, Lockheed Electra down in Texas came apart in the air and crashed to Brandon. Shortly thereafter, Lockheed Electra Northwest Airlines came apart in the air, came down in Indiana. They had that airplane grounded about two or three days later. And they grounded them all. And they eventually, the ones, they sent them back to the factory and they knew what happened in world mode and they repaired them. But until then, they were flying at a greatly reduced speed. But the FAA acted quickly and promptly, and it, they solved the situation, and I flew the electric. Neil, I bet you flew the electric, too. And they yeah. rode a little rougher because they made the wing mount, uh, engine mount stronger and braced them up. Uh, that, was in that, that was in the 50s, late 50s. And now whether that's something that should be addressed right now, I don't know. Uh, but they have the capability to do it. China's already grounded them, and uh, I imagine I, I can't help but think the United States are not going to ground them for a while in there. Well, China and India. And I will yeah. point out that this is electronics. This is not the jack screw. It's not any mechanical, I'm sure. It's electronics with uh, the G Wiz stuff that the pilot didn't know about, didn't even know how to go with it. And it was a simple thing to do, no doubt about it. Reach over and turn the stabilizers off. I mean, the. the them off and then put the handle out and crank it manually. And yeah, uh, I'm yeah. sure all the American guys, the Southwest guys, and uh, who's the other one? Uh, United, they know how to do it now and they'll handle it. Well, China and Indonesia ground all Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, according to the Indonesia Transport Ministry. Well, we had. When was that? That was tonight's. Um, New York yeah. Times. The earliest I can recall about stabilizer problems was uh, Eastern's uh, DC-8 that out of New Orleans uh, crashed. Uh, Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that was, was a pitch-trim compensator thing. Yeah, they put pitch the pitch-trim compensator on them after that. I flew the 8, and I wasn't flying it back then, of course. But, uh, Is that a similar know, that system? Twice. system? Pardon? Is that a similar system as to Boeing's? No, it, oh, it, no. Was, it was all mechanical. It's just something that in right. the mock scene, the scene came out and started. To, you'd see the pin coming out on the yoke and start. Oh. But, you know, that happened twice. That happened at Eastern. Once in Pontchartrain, they went in. And it happened once over Texas, laying out at about 5,000 feet. One of the engines physically fell off. And incidentally, the co-pilot was the same co-pilot on both airplanes. And uh, 
course, he he died in the crash in Pontchartrain. Now that's not to say that that uh, he was responsible. It just was something that he was the guy lived through one and didn't live through the next one. But that was a mechanical thing. This thing here that we got going is electronics. This is Chuck. Carlene, can you describe, or do you know the electronics involved with fixing this problem? No. And, you know, here's the thing. All, all these, these aircraft now are fly-by-wire. They're all the, the computers in the old days. We ran cables to tell the control. We had a control yoke. Told the you know move the cable to tell a control service to move. So all these aircraft now they're just sending you know we move the control yoke or the stick, and we're saying we want to go up down bank, and then it goes into a computer system and and we're just telling it what we want to do. We're not doing it anymore. These computer actuators are actually going out and telling the telling the airplane based on its weight and conditions and speed what to do, and it's giving the messages to these control units. So everything is, is these fly-by-wire aircraft are electronic, okay? But we still have the capability of disengaging it. And the Lion Air crash, um, that same plane, they flew it the day before. It started pitching over, and they knew to disconnect, you know, the, do the cutoff. And then they flew it. Then they reengaged. It was fine. So they knew to do that. Um, but but I, I'm probably a little bit jaded on all this because, all these automated aircraft, they all have protections built in, and they're in our manuals. But I would venture to say that every single pilot flying an automated aircraft, so like when the automation's off, we if we overbank, the airplane will roll it back. If we pitch too high, get too slow, it'll add power. It, it tries to won't it, it compensates for our errors in manual flight, and yeah. so it, it's and they're in the manual. But I guarantee if one of those events started occur something failed and it started overbanking or started pitching those down no pilot's going to go oh, yeah i remember something about this system remember there's an automated system we don't really at that phase deduce why it's doing it so even if it were in the book i don't think it would have helped them in hindsight we could have gone yeah that happened because of the problem is the pilots just don't know how to deal with the flight characteristics or deal with the airplane when something breaks and it's doing what it shouldn't do. And, and I'll tell you, this is, was my concern and why I did my research on this. And, and the data shows that we have a history of pilots, lack of understanding. This is causing crashes. And now our current safety culture and safety management systems that necessitate the safety culture, it's mandated now, um, is impacting training. It's impacting how our pilots are flying. We're all being taught to push buttons. No longer, um, in the, and fortunately, in the U.S., we still have pilots. And, and I shouldn't say that. There's foreign carriers, too, that have pilots that have a great deal of experience. But when you get the new pilots who don't have that foundation and the plane breaks, be it a new 737 MAX or being, be it an old aircraft that a cable breaks on it, they still have to be able to do it. And that's what we're not teaching. We don't. We're shorting training, and I have the research and the data to show it. So, well, in a well, while, uh, while Carl, the airplane Carl, broke, you know. Carlene, yeah. uh, isn't the media aware of this? I mean, how 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 do you get this information out to the public, or out to the FAA, or to you know to to correct this training? Well, here here's the thing. Yeah, they do know it, and I'll tell you what. When I was re- when I was doing my um, 
when I was defending my research and one of the professors sat in the front row and his mouth kind of opened wide and he says, wow, what do you think they're going to do with this? And, and I asked him, I go, can I answer that with what do I hope they do? And he goes, no, I want to know what you think they're going to do. And my response was, they've known for 20 years that lack mm-hmm. of understanding causes accidents and they haven't done anything yet. But now we have the data yeah. to yeah. prove that that's what's going on right now. But they, you can go look at all the historic accidents. And, you know, it's like we started CRM because of communication problems. Accidents and incidents, very few. We fixed that problem. Very few are due to this crew communications yeah. now. Yeah. It's lack right. of understanding. And that's a sad thing. Um, yeah, and, and I want, how do we get it out? I want everyone to read it. So I, I posted my dissertation on the research website, but I also made a book out of this and, and and put it very cheap for everyone to get on Amazon because okay. I, I turned it into something that the normal that people could read because dissertations are very very difficult to plug through, and um, to show the data there to show what it is that that we have a safety culture problem we have a training problem we have a lack of understanding problem, but sadly it's just about money. And when How do we get that information like from this, you, Carly? So, well, you can go, go on, you can go to uh, carlenepettit.com. Um, it'll take you to my blog. And I believe there's a, I put a post up for today. Um, the book I titled Normalization of Deviance because, um, you know, once, I mean, that term came from when pilots, we all kind of started using technique and they came out with these procedures and said, wait a minute, no more techniques, everyone. We figured out it's a lot safer if we're all doing the same thing standard operating procedures. And so we stopped fixing it because normalization of deviance is we're doing this behavior. We know it's wrong, but it becomes the norm and it's okay. Well, I titled this because what's going on is our airlines know what they're doing is wrong as far as we're training. They know we, we have the data. We ha- and, and even the FAA is aware of this. I mean, they can see the data, but it's financial. So I titled it normalization of deviance and I transferred to the deviant behavior to the organizations and out of the pilot's hand because, you know, it's like you can't keep blaming the pilot if, if they're not given the tools to, to do the job. Yeah, training, yeah. You know, yeah. In the guy so, Carlene, you, you, got a, you got an excellent point there. It's Mike here, by the way. Uh, uh, and back Mike. in, uh, you were talking about, it went back in, uh, you were talking about 20 years. Uh, I, uh, I flew the Gulfstream 4, Back in, went to school in that in 92. And the first thing they told me in ground school was the, uh, we're going to teach you how not to fly this airplane. <laughs> so the, the whole thing was electronic. The uh, this uh, I'm talking about the Grumman, uh, the Gulfstream, two, uh, Gulfstream 4. And I had a heck of a time trying to get through that ground school. And uh, all I know is that when I took a the simulator check ride in that thing, I think I did about uh, about 20 minutes worth of air work and stalls and all the rest of that stuff. And the rest of it was all, was all done up by push button on autopilot. The whole thing. Right. This you was know, back in back in '92. So yeah, I understand you know, what you're my, talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When I went, when I did my um, my type rating on the 757, the entire little bit of air work. Everything else, like you said, on, on your aircraft was automation. And I, and I did this with the FAA, and I remember coming out of there and during the debrief, and I said, 
you know, I don't think this is really a good idea to be exactly. checking pilots on their ability to push buttons. And yeah. and I said, what if it, what if the system breaks? Do you really know that I know how to fly that airplane? And that I never forget the FAA examiner laughed and he says, oh, these, this equipment's reliable. It's not going to break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Federal Aviation tonight issued a continued airworthiness notification for the MAX on Monday evening. If we identify an issue that affects safety, the FAA will take immediate and appropriate action, the regulator said in this statement. And that was in the Guardian News tonight. Jim Hart? Yes, a question, uh, Neil. Uh, Take a seasoned captain, thousands of hours, and a fellow sitting over in the right seat with 200 hours. Doesn't the captain have something to say about that? Yeah, that's an override. <laughs> you definitely yeah, I mean, override. The, the co-pilot says, uh, was it Pindo Heat? When, uh, Pito Heat, when do we eat? When do we eat? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, well, the, the, old me... days when they, the old days when they put the piece of tape down the cockpit and down the center and they go, that's your half, this is my half, don't touch it. Right, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Well, no, I, mean, that happened. I got up. That happened, yeah. Go ahead, Jim Holder. Yeah. Yeah, listen, uh, I want to talk about somebody I know, uh, a friend. Uh, when I first met him, he was flying a 140, uh, building up time. Young man, very young man. And then he got hired and was flying a 182 and built up more time. And eventually he had enough time to apply to the airlines, and he was hired not by a major carrier, but by, uh, I don't know what they call them now. We call them feeder lines, but it's associated with a major carrier. And in two years, he was got the required number of hours, 1,000 hours in the right seat, to go become a captain. And I've talked to him about, you know, where he flies this airplane. It's a modern airplane. It's uh, one of the South American something or other. I don't know. And he says that uh, they make the autopilots take off as soon as they get in there. They turn the autopilot on, and then they fly to wherever they're going. And they make a couple little landing that comes in, and uh, all the lands, and he takes over on the rollout. And that's supposed to do it. And he's flying with ex-military guys that have thousands of hours, a lot older than him, and he's quite young, and he's a good pilot. He's a good, no doubt about it, he's a good pilot. But does he have the flying ability to take care of something if everything goes to hell in the basket? And it can go to hell in the basket. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. But that's the that's the logic of what they have now. Put it on autopilot as soon as you get in the air, and the next time you take it off is when you Pick it off on the landing and pull the fire back. Yeah, you know, um, one, of the most, one of the most interesting things in, in this book are the comments I received worldwide of what's going on out there. And there's an expat in China, he said, in China Airlines, he says he got fined $1,500 for, for disengaging the autopilot and at, at 1,500 feet. And it was visual conditions. And he said he didn't know. They're, they're not allowed to do it. Um, yeah, it's the, probably the best part of this book are the comments from people, what's really going on out there um, with this flying. But that's the thing. They're taught to push the buttons. And that's well, Carly, when it breaks, they won't thing, know. Uh, 
minimum altitude for engagement of the autopilot on takeoff now? It used to be 1,000 feet. Has it been lowered? Well, it's it's either a Boeing or, Bo- or Airbus requirement, but on one particular airplane that I know of, it's 200 feet. So. Oh, my golly. Wow. Well, I got the impression talking to this young man that he did it well below 1,000 feet, and that was, the, that was what they were supposed to do. And just uh, yeah. sit back and punch buttons. Mm. And uh, he's uh, he's about the same age as I was when I got hired by Eastern. And he's a sharp guy, don't get me wrong. And he'll be a good captain, I'm sure. But not all guys getting hired like him are as sharp as he is, I think. And I just wonder. I just, and they're moving into the left seat after they get a 1,000 hours co pilot on the airplane. Yeah, well, the problem with all these old guys flying co-pilot (laughs) for exactly. Well, you know, the problem is it's like even even the best pilot when you don't do it, you're going to lose your skills, and then and then if you're not doing it, you're not only lose your skills, you're going to lose your confidence that you can do it, and um, and eventually the plane's going to break. But but from what I gathered from 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 foreign, from these other carriers that people have been commenting and, and engaged in some discussion with this, is that they're teaching them just to push the button. They don't want them to fly because they know they don't have the ability to fly. It's a lot safer pushing the button and and just letting the system do it than actually flying the aircraft. And and you know in most cases uh, automation is going to be safer, but it's only safer if it works. It's not going to be safer if it's if it breaks and you don't know what to do. So you need to have a balance. Yeah. Um, well, that might be a good idea to make them push the buttons of that crew that crashed in San Francisco on a clear day with no wind and landed short of the dike yeah. and killed some people. Yeah. Then maybe they yeah. have to be pushing the button. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that's the problem. That. That's that's what the Office Inspector General said that people that and it's just not that wasn't a foreign carrier issue. In the U.S., they said pilots aren't, were not being able to read our FMA, FMA and understand what it's telling us. That was their problem. They had the data in front of them. They just didn't read it or didn't understand what it was telling them that they didn't have it engaged. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, and that's, that is a, that's a U.S. problem as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nobody just speaks well, the captain of that airline, too. You know, oh, don't embarrass the captain. Tell him he's getting low. Till it's too late. Well, yeah, and that that assumes that others that others identified it as well. You know, that, but I'll have to tell you that that accident was proof to me that H three seventy was not hijacked and landed in a um, <laughs> in a field somewhere in the jungle somewhere. Because if you think about it, a Czech airman, a brand new captain, that's the best he's ever going to be on that airplane. And it was a visual condition. He had a really long runway, and he couldn't even make the runway. So. What are the yeah. chances of somebody taking that airplane and be able to put it somewhere? It was just slim to none. Um, it's just, um, you know, it's just we need to do something, and I think it's I think it's training. And, you know, and here's the thing. We're training, most of the pilots are training themselves. On their, we don't even go to ground school anymore. And so oh, who's to assess that, that if that were in the system, and I don't know Lion Air Ethiopian, if they're teaching themselves, at home, but who's to say, even if it were in the book, did they even understand it? And who's to say when they took their electronic test, if they had no clue and they go, um, which button, um, is it A, B, C, D, uh, I'll guess D, and they get it right. Who's to say they never had a clue anyway, even if it was in the book, even if they didn't know it, even if they 
guessed right on the test and never missed it. And even if they missed it, did they have a review because they passed with 70%? So who cares? They don't know the rest of the airplane. So our assessment measures, even if it were in the manual, probably aren't going to help us um, determine if if they even knew it, even if it was there. So... I, I can't understand the statement I made a while ago that the co-pilot, you said the co-pilot only had like 200 hours? Yeah. You can't That's even get a private report. license 200 hours. Yeah. Maybe they well, missed 200 putting, hours in actually, the airplane. Yeah, 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 you can, putting, but that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the foreign carriers are allowing these pilots to go in. They, they'll take a pilot without any time at all. And oh. I've been a pilot and I'll teach them how to fly and then they'll put them in an airplane at, at 200 hours. Yeah. My goodness. Uh, yeah. That's and, real and scary. It, Things have changed just a little bit. Well, yeah. you know, Jim, uh, you probably flew with uh, Joe Vance and an Eastern captain that uh, I flew many hours with him. And you know, we flew a lot of trips from Atlanta to Seattle and out to Portland, and uh, he would not let you engage the autopilot. Well, it, uh, I mistakenly engaged the autopilot after I got the cruise altitude, and he's, he looked at me and he says, what's what's wrong, Holland? You don't like to fly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I flew the rest. I immediately disengaged the autopilot and flew the rest <laughs> of the way. Well, here's the rest of the story. I had him after six years, no, eight years after he had retired, he was on my flight to San Antonio, and they were having a safety, the Didalian safety uh, uh, event out there in San Antonio, and he was a first-class passenger with his wife, and and I asked the flight attendant to invite him up to the cockpit, and when he came up, I said, Joe, how would you like to sit in the jump seat back here? and fly out to San Antonio with us. And he said, fine, yeah. I think He said, I'll tell my wife. I said, no, I'll get the flight attendant to tell her. But anyhow, I'll make a long story short. When we got up in flight, I said, okay, it's come on up here to the left seat, and you fly the airplane all the way to San Antonio. So he said, you really want me to do that? And I said, yep, I really want you to do that. And the co-pilot was in his seat, of course, and this was a 727. And so he was in heaven. I mean, it, he just, it, it made his life. You know, it was just, you, and I said, there's one condition. No autopilot. No autopilot. <laughs> and we, I got as high as that airplane could get, too. And, uh, but the first thing he did, of course, just like old Joe, he pulled back. And once he got the altitude, he pushed back a little bit and he put his feet up on the uh, little footrest there on the glare shield. And he said, uh, tell the flight attendant I want my coffee black. <laughs> and we flew the rest of the way to San Antonio. But uh, that's what we did. That's what we enjoyed doing, uh, Carlene and, and uh, Mike and and Jim. And, and, you know, we love flying. And I can't understand the, the mindset of the uh, new pilots today, the new breed of pilots or whatever. It's push button, push button. Don't fly the airplane. This is true. It's a company policy, though. The company is yeah. making them do that, or they get fined and violated. 
Well, I guess you well, reported if you close the door and the cockpit door is closed, what I guess now one reports on the other. No, the airplane reports on you. They know exactly what's going on. They know what yeah. buttons you press. Yeah. They know yeah. exactly what you're doing below. Yeah, yeah. All that's right. Over the airways now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Neil, mm-hmm. like I, I said, uh, you know, the uh, when I was flying the, uh, of course, it was Part 91. I was flying the 727 for many, many years and uh, many, many hours and all that. And they decided to uh, uh, retrofit the airplane with a universal navigation system, which was all glass <laughs> and all these push-button stuff. Yeah. And that's what uh, I finally, I told everybody at, at my age that I was flying, I you know, uh, it used to be 60 to retire at the airlines, then it went to 65 on the corporate field. You could do whatever you wanted. And, uh, you know, I, I flew till I was 75 and uh, flew the 727. It was like uh, I used to put it on like a pair of shoes. And then they put all this new stuff in there, you know, all this push button stuff, and you had to use autopilot for it and all this stuff. And I had told everybody that I'd always fly until I wasn't having fun anymore. So it finally became a time when I was not having any fun anymore. So I, I packed it in at seventy-five because of was that electronics. last week? That was about that was about two and a half years ago. <laughs> and those new pair of shoes fit kind of tight, huh? Well, they, yeah, they keep getting bigger all the time. I said these size thirteens are getting tight. <laughs> Neil, well, you got to realize that a lot of the pilots today. Uh, came up through looking at video games, playing video games, and all they know is buttons. Yeah. This you is know, true. Um, our, our, our military, the Air Force, uh, predominantly hires um, pilots to fly their drones. Obviously, they don't know where the drone takes off and lands sometimes. They just know where it is on their big computer screen, and they could be in Colorado flying a drone in Afghanistan. And that's what the mentality is. And getting flight pay for it. Yeah, they want a hazardous duty pay. Yes. (laughs) But guess what? Probably get get an air medal or two also. You'll get ranked. (laughs) Area code 470, where is that? Area code four seven zero. Okay, listener. Roswell, Georgia. Where Roswell, Georgia? Yeah, is this Neil? Yes, Neil. Bill Sandusky. I've been trying to get in, and it keeps telling me object invalid and all that kind of stuff. Oh no, you guys. Yeah, you're right with us, Bill. Yeah, you're with us here. Well, I'm pushing the wrong wrong buttons. Speak (laughs) your piece now. Speak your piece since you're on. Well, I don't have anything to say, but it's. I'm, I'm sorry I got on about 20 minutes after 7. I really enjoyed the discussion, what I've been able to hear of it. Wish I'd have gotten uh, on the board when, they, when the door closed, but I didn't. So anyway, I'll, I'll just listen here, and it's very, very interesting. Okay, very good, yeah. Hello? Yes, yes, Dorothy? Yes. On the, on the news, the CBS uh, 7 o'clock news, they talked about an MCAS, which is the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, and mm-hmm. they said that Boeing created that software. 
and that uh, those senses point the nose of the plane down if it detects it has pitched too high and could be at risk of stalling. By measuring the position of the plane's wings relative airflow, the system sensor indicates to pilots that the plane is at risk of stalling from going too slow or flying too steep into a climb. It's a brand-new system on the 737 MAX. However, problems can arise when the MCAS system automatically pushes the plane's nose down, potentially surprising pilots who are unfamiliar with the system and overriding their commands. According to the New York Times, Bowen and the FAA decided pilots did not need to be informed about the change to the flight control systems. The Times reported Boeing and the regulators decided against informing pilots, at least in part, to minimize the cost of retraining pilots. Bottom line? Money. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like they got to undo what they done did. Yep. Yeah. Once it pushes forward, does it also sense the fact that airspeed is increasing and tend to pull back on the uh, elevator? Don't know. Don't know how this MCAS system works, but uh, they had a good system on the 7-2 and on the 7-3 for years and years. They should have left yeah. it alone. Yep. Yeah. Stick shaker. Yeah, if that's a problem. Yeah. This article also said that after the crash, Bowen and the FAA indicated that the plane's MCAS system may have triggered the anti-stall system and overrode the pilot's manual controls, thus pitching the plane's nose downward. Bowen told the New York Times the pilots of Lion Air might have had the chance to steady the plane had they followed previous established emergency procedures to use to control the 737s in similar situations. Yeah. Did, did they say what the MCAS, the Master Caution Advisory System, what is, what is the acronym? Right, it's the Maneuvering like Characteristics Augmentation System, MCAS. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Maneuvering And they would correct it, and then 10 seconds later, it would do it again. And then it had corrected, and then 10 seconds later, it would do it again. That's why they were going up and down all the time. It had a time delay. If it could yeah. come back in, and could do the erroneous flight control input. Put them right back saying, where they were. But they're also saying that the uh, they didn't follow the previous established emergency procedures, oh. so some procedures must have went along with it. If they're Carlene, saying they didn't uh, I want to ask Carlene this. Uh, I don't know if you have any uh, if you've flown any uh, Airbus air, air, Airbus aircraft, but do they have a similar system like that? Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, similar to that, but the Airb- I have flown the um, the Airbus uh, 330, and they do have a system. If the airplane is is getting, if we're pulling the nose back, we're getting too stall. It prevents us too slow. It prevents us from pulling back further to induce a stall. Uh, granted, the computers are working, the different levels of computers. So yeah. um, that that particular system, I believe, was designed for that aircraft because it was not it was out of CG. I think I think it was uh, the engines were moved differently or something. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, just wasn't because I, I had a stability problem. Is that the problem? And so because of the stability problem, they yeah. added the seat just into it. But that, but that A330 is extremely stable. You can take your hands off that thing, and it's not going to go anywhere. So. Okay. What's the, the system they got on the Airbus 320 the, on the landing when they're telling you the, the auto system is telling you to land? It, it says it's telling you to it says retard. Retard. Now, are they talking to the captain or the co-pilot? I think they were talking to the captain. It depends, it depends which crew you're on. <laughs> now, now, I don't know if you guys heard, but I read on the Internet, Yahoo, uh, that uh, there was an Ethiopian that was an eyewitness to it, the, the crash. And he said that it was on. Uh, there was smoke trailing the airplane. Do you guys read or hear anything about that? No. My son mentioned been that earlier. Doing the engines back and forth or something, putting out bursts of smoke. Well, that was on the news. Right? But yeah. they didn't know what caused well, it. Uh, right. Yeah, they didn't believe about the smoke. In the, that's same a, that's... Art- yep. In the same article, it said that there were two different uh, sightings. One Ethiopia farmer told the Reuters news agency that he saw the plane crash onto his land. He said he saw small pieces of paper-like debris coming from the plane and it was making an unusual noise and turned suddenly just before it crashed. The other farmer told Reuters that the doomed jet appeared to to try to climb before making a sharp turn and slammed into the ground. So there's two different sightings. But they say that yeah. the pilot sent out a distress call and was given clearance to return to the airport. But then the air traffic controllers lost contact with the plane and it crashed six minutes after takeoff. Uh, have, any, have any of you had the pleasure of flying into that airport? I have. Many times we used to go into <laughs> into that airport. And it's, uh, it was always a trip, but that was many years ago. Not me. As a uh, sidebar here, I don't know if you read about the fellow, the Greek guy, that Greek man that uh, was uh, to be the 150th passenger on the flight that uh, did not board the aircraft. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I I did. That that was in the comment. He said that uh, he was 150th passenger, but uh, he didn't make it. I was mad because nobody helped me to reach the gate on time. He said, and he and uh, he posted that it was his lucky day, and he was the president of International Solid Waste Association, a oh, wow. nonprofit organization, traveling to Nairobi to attend an annual assembly. He was supposed to board the plane, but he reached the departure gate just two minutes after uh, it was closed, and he booked a later. Does plane. anybody know if this plane deal they have first class and coach? I think the line was all coats, but uh, 157 or whatever it is, that might have been because they had first-class seating and lower yeah. numbers. Yeah. Must have been because that, uh, that that's uh, that's a pretty long airplane. That holds a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It was a, what is 170-something on the line air, wasn't it? And they said it was Believe. full. The 727-200 was 
Do what? It was a lot, like 173. Okay. Was that you, Bill? Uh, what we need is a big red button on the pedestal. And on the front uh, CRT up there, when this happens, something should flash up there saying, push red button, disengage. That well, was the big red one we had a couple of shows ago. Busy day to everything. You know, well, there Chuck. was a day. There was a day, you guys, when something went wrong, we felt it. Oh yeah. Yep. We didn't have to be told. We knew. It was just uh, that sense that uh, we developed when we uh, learned to fly back in the day. Back, back in the day of the seat of the pants flying. There you go. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know what that's called? Experience. Yeah. Yeah. Needle I ball sent Jim uh, an email a while back uh, on hands. Remember that one, Jim? The old hands on flying the airplane? Well, I'll refresh my memory. I probably do. I just forgot it. It was a. It was like a, everything a, else. It was a video or a uh, sound clip of a uh, these old hands flying the 757. A guy that had retired. And oh it, yeah, it, it yeah. I know what you're Came along about. with a whole dissertation yeah. about why people trust him. Right. And that's kind of that like the, the experience. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a very good. That was very good. Uh, Presentation or whatever you call it. Yes, I know it. Yeah, I saw it. Just a side note. I wonder how this is going to affect the uh, aircraft manufacturers in trying to pass the uh, idea of having one pilot in the cockpit. Oh. Well, you know they were talking about that. I'm sure they were. R2-D2 or CP-3-0? I don't know which one, but <laughs> I had I had something one time with a with a airplane, and I was talking to some uh, a guy that was flying. I said, well, one day, if they do that, there's not going to be a pilot. There's just going to be a mechanic in first class section, and he's going to have a black box. And when the bell goes off, he goes into the cockpit, Pulls out the black box, puts the other one in, and goes back to his seat. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to ask Jeff well, the, a question. The, Jeff, out there in uh, Portland, I believe you are, aren't you, Jeff? Yeah, the Portland area right now. Yeah. What's going to happen when we do have uh, uh, unmanned passenger airplanes? I guess that puts the control towers and the centers out of business, doesn't it? Well, I, I think this is really black and white, and it's something that people are maybe not quite having the light turn on about, is that's what NextGen is all about, is about implementing automation. You look at the procedures that are being designed uh, by industry in collaboration with the regulatory agency, FAA, those procedures are forcing flight crews to allow the aircraft to fly the plane. They are building these, you know, tunnels in the sky with all these speed restrictions uh, and tiny altitude slivers, you know, tunnels, essentially, that they are they're flying uh, that cannot be manually flown. But that's okay because they let the automation flying it. This is – the whole system is being designed to do away with labor, and nobody is talking about that. 
I agree Mark. with you. Mark, this is well, very you know true. What? Yeah, this, we, this we is... need to t- we need to talk about that because that's going to be the next. The the as soon as they allow control from the ground for aircraft, that's going to be the next level of uh, terrorism. Because if we think about yeah. it right now, if we keep the bad guys off the airplane, we're safe. If we keep the bad guys out of the cockpit, we're safe. But could you imagine having a warehouse filled with people controlling every flight? And whether they could virtually hack it, let's say they make that perfect system, they can't virtually hack it, but somebody could break into that um, facility and take over every single flight. And um, that's just, you know, they take, it, taking away jobs, take, take away human touch, that away, you know, that's one thing. But we are going to jeopardize the entire world if we allow this to happen because anyone could break into that system. This is the first step of, of, of cyber war. First step of the cyber yeah. wars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I cannot see that ever happening. It, 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 uh, who would get on an airplane with nobody up there flying it? So somebody in right. Seattle or somebody in Puerto Rico. In, in your life, Dad. Well, my remember, life remember do, hey, do you guys remember? I remember the day when everyone said, flying two, two engines across the ocean? Nobody yeah. will ever yeah. do that. <laughs> That's right. And here yeah. we go. Yeah. And people yeah. do it. Say again. I say. I said one day they're going to figure out how to do it with one engine. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you were cut out, uh, Chuck. Let this guy. Who, who's speaking, Bill or Jeff? No. No, Jeff. I was cracking a joke that people do buy tickets to fly on Allegiant. <laughs> That's bad. They're, they're buying a they're buying a chance, not a ticket. Yeah. Whatever happens. All right, you guys. I'm gonna, def- I, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend I'm gonna defend Allegiant right now because you have to admit the planes break so often that those pilots are never going to be impacted by a. Um, by a startle effect, they're ready for anything. And, and they're, you know, that's one of the biggest Absolutely. things, the most difficult thing to train for is, you know, what happens when you're startled and you have that immediate reaction. Well, those pilots are ready for anything and everything breaks. So <laughs> they're getting, you know, the rest of us in the world, maybe, maybe once a year we go in and maybe one time we might get a high altitude, you know, rapid depressurization at the beginning of our career and never see it again. Hey, they get trained for it all the time. It just happens to be on the airplane. So, I think those pilots are probably, probably some of the best in the world. If I ran an airline, I'd hire all the Legion Air pilots to work for me. Well, whatever happened yeah. wow. to the experiment yeah. where they were going to put parachutes on an aircraft that would lower it to the ground if it was in trouble? Well, they've been doing it already for small airplanes. Small airplanes have it. They've had it for over yep. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Oh. Well, y'all can talk about Allegiance more. Well, too, but, uh, they got a guy over there, a flying captain on the 757, that was a flight engineer for me at ATA, and he is one sharp guy. The rest of them like him. There's no problems there. And he ended up getting to be a co-pilot and a captain, and now he's a 757 captain. And he's such a smart guy that he asked to fly co- uh, engineer on my last trip. And of course, I would have asked him to do it if he hadn't asked me, could he do it? Fine fellow. 
of course, he can't fly the whole airline. He can only fly one airplane at a time. Yeah. Well, what's the, the FAA, uh, what's their involvement? Uh, do any of you know, uh, our Carlene, how do they get involved in in this thing? I guess the NTSB is doing their thing out there with Boeing investigators. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I'm still waiting for them to get involved in training. So. <laughs> well, they're probably they're, they're probably governed by the lawyers that are sitting on them. Yeah, there you go. You know, it, you know, it's like, but but like anything else, it's like you have to you have to look at the F. You know, think about this. If you if anyone took the time to go look and see who the controlling FAA inspectors are for, say, an airline you might find that the airline's retired captains who were working for that airline who know what's going on, now they go and they work for the FAA, so they're overseeing their own carrier. Now, it depends the type of carrier. If they had a proactive, hey, we want you to see things and say something is one thing. But if you're, if you, let's just say you're the, the you know, the, um, the fox is probably guarding the hen house kind of thing there, I, I would believe. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's that's true. We had we had well, a lot I think of the Well, Hugh and Cry to get that flight recorder or cockpit voice recorder for Lion Air released, and I know it ought to be a screaming for that. It might uh, be the has anyone heard or, anything yeah. about the seven sixty seven that went down in uh, the Texas Bay Area over there? Is there any? Uh, any reports about what the uh, the flight data recorder and the CVR? Somebody somebody mentioned to me that uh, it was unofficial or anything else, but they said that they had some kind of a a flap asymmetry problem with this airplane in the past. Now, I, I wouldn't think that the flap asymmetry would have any anything to do with it being 30 miles from the airport. Why would you be putting the flaps out 30 miles out? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, right. but that's the only thing that I heard. Well, they yeah, had the, um, cargo containers. I just wonder if they had a cargo shift or something. But if they're all in there, they got to put empty ones in, I guess, to make the make the airplane uh, CG work. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. That'd be a pretty did, heavy container to shift to do that. That's what got yeah, that seven forty seven. Remember. Carlene? Yeah. yeah, they did. They did say that it was a. Uh, they did have a control problem. But they just didn't say to what extent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it went from like why... sixteen seconds, but everything's fine to diving into the water. It happened so yeah. quick. They, they didn't say anything. Strange. Uh, yeah. I don't think it would have anything to do with the flaps. Myself, because why would you have? Why would you be out there at what seven thousand feet with? Uh, no. Thirty miles out with the flaps out. What would you with be doing that for? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's right. Unless yeah. they went out by themselves, I never heard of that. An hour ago, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's automatic. Did they find both boxes? I think they did. Yeah, they were in the mud, but they found them. They're just yeah. not telling you. That's all. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, folks. It's about that time, and uh, great discussion. Thank you so much, all of you listening and participating. Appreciate uh, your comments. 
And uh, the program that we had scheduled for tonight, uh, it's uh, very interesting, I think, especially folks my age, uh, children of the greatest generation, will do next week. And, uh, yeah, Dorothy, you've got any yes. announcements that you want to make and tell us about the future shows? Yes, we have uh, following that show next week. Uh, will be the Dirty Dozen of Maintenance on the March 25th. Mar- uh, April 1st, we have Holy Blue Sunoco, followed by April 8th, being the big three, uh, Miami, Atlanta, and New York City. Of course, that's JFA, LaGuardia, and, and New- uh, Newark. Uh, so we have several programs that are coming up in addition to our Thursday programs are from the Eastern File and the Old Time of uh, radio show that we have that Don and Neil host together. So we have a lot of good things coming, and please check the website. We keep it updated constantly. All the new information on these programs are all up on the website, and they're in the calendar, so you can check there for any of that. Uh, We, too, still want to thank our sponsor, Reaper, for for their uh, donation to our radio show. Without that, we couldn't go on. So uh, please do so. uh, Think about us and contribute when you can, whatever you can. Back to you, Neil. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for being with us tonight. uh, We've got some different goodnight music that Jim Hart responds to. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Well, go ahead. And you want me to land the airplane first, Jim? Oh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in. Okay. Okay, go ahead, Jim. Check I got, green. Yeah, I was going to say. So that was a good flight, Captain. We had, we had uh, an excellent trip. Uh, be sure to tune in again next Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, March the 17th when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyber wave. It's uh, the radio show looks at maintenance, 30 dozen. That's a, an unusual one. With this, we sign off by playing Jimmy Durante Salute. Mrs. Calabash, Mr. Producer, if you will, please. And correction on our show, next month is on the 18th.
Good night. Good night, Eastern family and friends around the world. And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. Good night, folks. Okay. Good night. God bless the passengers. Flight 